thanks for listening, everybody. This is A Podcast, the podcast for the Southern Resident Killer Whales, J-Pod, K-Pod, and L-Pod. I'm your host, Allison Morrow, and today we are lucky to have Dr. Greg Ruggeroni, who is a uh, fishery scientist with Natural Resources Consultants and is a specialist at salmon uh, population dynamics. And Greg, just let's start off for people who have no idea what that means, salmon population dynamics. What is that? And just give us some of your background on all of your research on these fish. Well, uh, so salmon population dynamics. So basically I um, study factors affecting the survival of, of salmon throughout their range, both in freshwater and the marine environment. And related to that, um, you know, last year, one year ago, uh, Jim Irvine and I published a, a paper uh, looking at reconstructing salmon abundance trends uh, from 1925 through uh, 2015. And uh, so that's one aspect of salmon population dynamics that we look at. And the other aspect um, that we focus on is the interaction between species of salmon in the, in the ocean. And that is uh, a topic that led us to this, uh, this study on, on the killer whales. In case people don't know about the southern resident killer whales and their diet, they eat, I think, what, 80% Chinook is what I think researchers have found. A good majority of the salmon that they eat are Chinook salmon, and they are entirely fish eaters, unlike other killer whales that people may see hunting marine mammals or sharks. These are fish eaters, and that's part of the reason why we believe they're in decline, because scientists believe they're not getting enough to eat. Is that accurate? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Can we dig a little bit deeper into the two issues you just referenced and tell us a little bit more about what you've found? Sure. Your uh, listeners will be interested to know that there are actually more Pacific salmon today returning from the North Pacific Ocean than any time before in recorded history, going in our data set going back to 1925. And I'm referring to um, the North Pacific uh, salmon runs to both Asia and North America. Um, there, never have we seen so many uh, Pacific salmon. Now, the large majority of these salmon returning are pink salmon. Pink salmon are incredibly abundant. Uh, they've more than doubled in abundance since the 1977 ocean regime shift. And they represent nearly 70% of all Pacific salmon returning from the ocean each year. The, uh, the problem is, you know, people... Uh, prefer other species of salmon, such as Chinook salmon or sockeye salmon or, or coho salmon. Um, pink salmon are probably the least desirable uh, species of salmon. Uh, they're small. They only live um, uh, two years, and uh, their flesh quality is much lower uh, compared to Chinook or sockeye salmon. So pink salmon are doing well, but the other kinds of salmon aren't necessarily doing as well. Right. Sockeye salmon in Alaska are doing quite well, um, but most of the other species are not do doing nearly as well. But especially Chinook, as you know, uh, for Chinook salmon, there's a coast-wide decline in Chinook from all areas of Alaska all the way down through 
the Pacific Northwest in California. I guess when it comes to pink salmon and what you're saying about just their desirability or lack thereof for salmon eaters like us, does that mean that fishing has played a role in the decline of Chinook, for instance, or is that not really something that you study? Well, we, we do look, look into that, and it's a complicated issue, and it, and it varies from um, area to area. Uh, so, you know, fisheries do harvest a large number of, uh, of Chinook salmon, but ultimately uh, a key issue is um, the quality of the habitat in, in fresh water that produces these Chinook salmon, and also ocean conditions that are have become less favorable. Those factors coupled with, um, in some cases, high harvest rates on Chinook salmon can lead to their decline. And part of this is uh, the simple fact that we now, in the Pacific Northwest, produce uh, huge numbers of hatchery origin Chinook salmon that um, encourage um, these salmon fisheries. So let's go to your most recent research that connects with the southern resident killer whales. You were looking at the connection between the pink salmon runs and the health of the killer whales. Is that right? And, and what did you find? Right. And so actually it was kind of a, <laughs> a discovery. Um, a number of months ago, colleagues and I were that we, we study uh, the interactions between pink salmon and other species of salmon and seabirds were communicating by email. And during this time, you know, killer whale decline was uh, in the news. And so we started looking at some of the killer whale data. And uh, we noticed, you know, a plot, a chart that was on the Center for Whale Research website. And literally, it, it took just a, a minute or so for us to see that there was um, this very distinct biennial pattern in the mortality of the southern resident uh, killer whale population, um, beginning around 1998 or so and continuing on uh, through 2017. And so this chart is simply uh, the number of uh, killer whales that died each year from 1976 through uh, 2015. And what we saw beginning in 1998 is that in the even-numbered years, such as 1998, um, the mortality of these whales was high, very high. And in odd-numbered years, such as 1999, the mortality of the whales was much lower. And this pattern, this alternating year pattern, up-down pattern, uh, continued on uh, through year 2017. So what does that have anything to do with pink salmon? Well, that's a good question. So this, is a, this pattern, which was the topic of our, our, our research paper, is very unusual, especially for a, a long-lived uh, apex predator such as um, the killer whales, these whales live, they can live, you know, 100 years or more. And so you wouldn't expect to see this strong biennial pattern in the mortality of these whales. And so we, when we first saw this pattern, you know, it immediately came um, to 
to our minds uh, pink salmon. But, you know, that was our first thought. But we also started to look into what other factors might uh, cause such a biennial pattern. And so we looked into it, and, and in short, we couldn't find any other potential factor in the marine environment that might lead to such a strong biennial alternating year pattern in the mortali mortality of these whales. And yet um, pink salmon, which is a species that my colleagues and I study, in part because pink salmon show this incredibly strong, extreme biennial pattern, um, you know, pink salmon became the, the leading um, likely factor causing this uh, biennial pattern in, in the whales. This biennial pattern began just about the same time that the whale population started to decline. And this biennial pattern has been strong um, over the past 20 years of decline. But not only did this biennial pattern start around 1998 or so, this time period also corresponded with the a uh, very strong 1997-1998 uh, El Nino pattern that had uh, significant impacts on the North Pacific ecosystem. And it's also a time period when um, pink salmon harvests in the Salish Sea plummeted. Uh, very few were harvested uh, beginning in 1999, uh, due largely to conservation concerns for Chinook salmon and for sockeye salmon returning to the Fraser River. Was that surprising to you? Yes, it was shocking. You know, first of all, the, really the, the shocking part is the biennial pattern in the whales. And then to think that these pink salmon could be possibly impacting these apex predators um, was amazing. I mean, and so part of the story is, you know, we saw this pattern and, you know, we follow the whale research a little bit, but I'm not an expert on the killer whales. I've learned a lot more <laughs> since uh, we wrote this paper. And so one of the first things I did was, you know, look up in the literature to see to what extent the whales might be eating pink salmon, right? And so uh, fortunately, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Mike Ford, over at uh, Noah Fisheries, he's the director of uh, conservation biology over there. He recently published a paper on the diet of the killer whales. And uh, in that paper, they, they found that the killer whales rarely ever ate pink salmon in the Salish Sea, even though pink salmon are incredibly abundant in odd-numbered years. In odd-numbered years, uh, over the past 40 years or so, they've averaged about 18 million pink salmon in odd-numbered years, but only less than a half a million in even-numbered years. So these whales are essentially avoiding the consumption of pink salmon, which are incredibly abundant. Just like us. Yeah, possibly. Actually, some people like to eat pink salmon. Others don't. Actually, I have started to try to eat more pink salmon because of what you're saying because it's and frankly it's cheaper you know it's cheaper well they put pinks for the most part pink salmon go into cans because the the flesh quality is quite a bit lower mm -hmm. my uh the local fisherman that i buy my salmon from he sells a whole pink for 
like 13 bucks. It's really cheap, and then you get basically four fillets out of it. So it works for us. Um, why doesn't it work for the southern resident killer whales, though? And what does that mean then? How would their mortality be connected to these fish if they're not eating them? So good question. So the, the whales are very, very interesting, fascinating animals. As everybody knows, uh, perhaps they don't, everybody doesn't know, but the whales definitely prefer Chinook salmon. And this makes sense because the whales are very large, and so they would they prefer the largest species of salmon, and which also have high fat content. So, you know, when Chinook salmon are available, um, they very much target those Chinook salmon. They have a strong preference. The other thing is that these whales are very intelligent and they're very social and they learn from each other. The whales in the pods follow the matriarch, the old female, and uh, they feed together and um, they learn through their social networking to feed on Chinook salmon, especially during spring through summer and early fall. And then perhaps in the winter time when Chinook are let much less available, They'll switch to another large species of salmon, chum salmon or coho salmon. But um, during the summer, uh, when Chinook are coming back in larger numbers in the Salish Sea, at least in, in some years, they, uh, they target Chinook and essentially avoid pink salmon uh, in terms of consumption. And they eat relatively few sockeye salmon, too, even in years when there can be a large return of sockeye to the Fraser River. So they very much target uh, Chinook salmon. Would the implications of your research then not necessarily have anything to do with pink salmon management? It's, it seems like it's still focusing us back on Chinook. Yes. So it's important. There's a... It's important to increase the number of Chinook salmon, as, as uh, many other scientists have uh, spoken about. But let me um, discuss a little bit more about um, what we think is the leading hypothesis on how the whales interact with pink salmon. So our, our leading hypothesis is that uh, pink salmon interfere with the foraging of the whales in odd-numbered years. And so... Pink salmon are returning to the Salish Sea in high numbers during odd-numbered years from mid-July through mid-September or so. And this is the same time that summer-run Chinook are entering the Salish Sea as well as the early portion of the late, or late portion of the fall-run Chinook salmon. And so these fish are coming in together through at least a good portion of, of them through the Strait of Juan de Fuca. And they aggregate and migrate along the west side of San Juan Island. And those fish heading up to the Fraser River pass northward through Boundary Pass. And pink salmon are surface-oriented. Chinook salmon are swimming in deeper water. And so the whales are swimming along the surface, but they need to dive deep to catch those Chinook salmon. And so we think that that in these odd years uh, of high pink salmon abundance, when the pinks are outnumbering Chinook salmon about 50 to 1, uh, those high numbers of pinks interfere with the echolocation 
and the foraging uh, efficiency of the whales that are attacking the Chinook salmon. It's very interesting. So I know you're not an echolocation specialist, but basically they're sending out a signal to find these fish, and you're saying that the pink salmon are getting in the way. They're sort of blocking that sound signal that the whales are sending out for the Chinook? Possibly, or just simply confusing the whales. Um, We do know from uh, research papers that scientists in this region looking at echolocation of these whales um, the whales can easily detect, for example, Chinook salmon uh, simply by their, their size compared to a, a smaller pink salmon. So there's no question that the whales can detect, you know, a Chinook versus a pink. It's just a, a matter of perhaps the whales getting confused and distracted by uh, large numbers of, of pink salmon. That they don't want that essentially they don't want, right. And this becomes an important part of the paper is this becomes more of an issue when there's relatively few Chinook present. And we say this because we didn't see this pattern, this biennial pattern in mortality in the whales uh, prior to 1998, a time period when there's uh, more Chinook salmon available to the whales. So you, you saw this trend start as the Chinook declined? As part of the uh, Chinook decline. I see. Right. And, so, right. and so you were asking about the management implications uh, for this. Um, and we do have an alternative hypothesis. But if it turns out that the pink salmon are adversely impacting the, the foraging efficiency of whales, then there are actions that could potentially um, help relieve this problem. But, you know, we don't have all the answers. But the logical one is that we would need to harvest more pink salmon. So that's that's part of the, as we discussed in the paper, in 19, beginning in this time period, uh, 1998, 1999, when this biennial pattern emerged, that, that corresponded with a time period when the harvest rate, the percentage of the pink salmon harvested by commercial fishermen in the Salish Sea plummeted. And so during the past 20 years, um, the abundance of pink salmon escaping the fisheries has more than doubled. It's actually increased 135% wow. uh, during this recent time period. And the reason why the, the fisheries... Um, have slowed their fishing on pink salmon is because of the conservation concern for Chinook salmon and sockeye salmon, at least in some years, returning to the Fraser River. So, you know, the managers are taking action to protect these important species, the Chinook and sockeye, and so more and more of the pink salmon are going unharvested, and environmental conditions for pink salmon are have been very good, as I mentioned earlier, across the North Pacific, and the Salish Sea is no different. Pink salmon have been booming um, in recent years in the Salish Sea. But, you know, is so I, one potential management action is to harvest more pink salmon, but the complication is, as I mentioned, the bycatch of Chinook and sockeye salmon, and so that's something that... Um, 
we'd have to deal with. It's, it's possible, for example, to harvest a species of salmon like pink salmon um, using, for example, persane gear. But you have to be very careful and very vigilant um, when doing that uh, to minimize any damage uh, or mort mortality of the bycatch species, Chinook or sockeye salmon. Um, as I mentioned also, uh, pink salmon are shallower and Chinook salmon are deeper, so that's another alternative. If you were really focused on the pinks, maybe, I, I, I don't know, this is something for the fishermen to address. You could use a shallower seine to help reduce uh, bycatch of Chinook salmon uh, while trying to target pink salmon, or, there, or I'll change the location of, of the harvest of those pinks. But this is uh, a topic that we discuss, uh, you know, in fisheries, and that is, uh, you know, uh, using ecosystem principles for the management of species. But it's much easier to talk about than to implement uh, in a situation like this. You said you had an alternative hypothesis. What's that? So the alternative hypothesis is just the opposite, 100, 180 degrees from what I mentioned uh, before where, where we think pink salmon have an adverse impact on the foraging efficiency. The alternative is pink salmon in odd-numbered years actually somehow benefit uh, the foraging efficiency of the whales. And part of this hypothesis would be explained if, for example, in these even years when there is large, high mortality of the whales, that's the norm. That's the norm because Chinook salmon are, are depleted and there's just not very many. But in the odd years, when there's lots of pink salmon, somehow that increases the foraging efficiency of the whales and therefore leads to uh, fewer of them dying. But so we, we briefly mentioned this in the paper uh, because right at this time, uh, we can't conclusively exclude that hypothesis. We don't have a mechanism um, that would help explain that relationship. So we, we, at this time, tend to prefer the hypothesis that pinks adversely impact the whales. But um, still, this alternative is, is something that needs to be considered um, as we move forward. And that wouldn't be because they're eating more pink salmon in those years. It just would have some benefit that we don't know for them to find Chinook more easily. Is that what you're saying? You're not saying right. that on the years of pink, they're eating more pink, right? No, exactly, exactly. Because the whales, we know they, they are not eating pinks. It would be just simply, for some reason, and we don't know why, <laughs> the pink salmon are somehow... Uh, allowing the whales to more easily capture what Chinook salmon are available. You know, we focused on mortality, but we also looked at the birth rate of the whales, and we found a biannual pattern in the birth rate as well, annual birth rate. Just like the high mortality of the whales in even-numbered years, we also found that the reproductive success, the number of successful births by the whales was lower in even number of years. So it's the birthing of these whales is consistent with the mortality. It wasn't nearly as distinct of a pattern 
as it is in mortality, but uh, that relationship is, is present too. So the biennial pattern is real, and uh, the key question now is to figure out a little bit more um, about um, specifically the mechanism leading to this biennial pattern that we describe, because I think that can greatly inform actions to recover the, the killer whales. Are you at the point where you're saying, no, we know that somehow pink salmon and the southern resident killer whales are connected. We just don't yet know exactly how. Or are you saying it's still possible that by just some fluke of coincidence, this pattern exists at the same time the pink salmon also have their own pattern, but they may or may not be related at all? So the answer is, just look at the whale mortality pattern. The biennial pattern in the mortality of these whales is real, and we need to figure out why. We have no other mechanism that might potentially lead to such a strong biennial pattern um, other than pink salmon. There's nothing uh, else out there that has such that a... we know of. Maybe somebody else can come up with I something, see. but I, I doubt it. <laughs> you know, we, you know, my colleagues and I, we work in the marine environment a lot, and uh, there's nothing else uh, in this area. Up north, we also uh, link pink salmon, for example, to squid. And squid in the North Pacific, um, some species can have a, bi uh, uh, a biennial pattern, but that biennial pattern is is caused by pink salmon, according to a, um, a student that just finished her Ph.D. at the University of Washington a, a few years ago. Um, but that species of squid does not overlap with, um, with these killer whales, and as we know that the killer whales are feeding mostly on, on salmon um, throughout throughout the year. They'll occasionally eat other species, but mostly salmon. It's not part of this paper, but we, we did quite a few more analyses, and there was a, a tendency for uh, the pattern to be strongest, the biennial pattern to be strongest during time periods when there were fewer Chinook or other species of salmon, such as chum, uh, when salmon were more abundant than the biennial pattern tended to weaken during the past 20 years. This is something that we plan to look at uh, in the coming months. Greg Ruggeroni, who is a fisheries research scientist at Natural Resources Consultants. Fascinating research, and we look forward to hearing more about what you all find out. Thanks for giving us some insight today. Well, thank you very much.